1: Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com.
2: Hi, I'm Zach. You can find me on Twitter at Forster underscore. Talk about Liverpool mostly and their comings and goings.
3: Hi, guys, I'm Jim. I'm the uh, Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. Um, I'm back after a long work induced hiatus. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight88 uh, or uh, anywhere, you know, replying to this show.
4: Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits.
1: All right. um, We're going to start with news and notes. The thing that was the most present, uh, especially on Saturday, here in the States, they were actually cutting into other matches to talk about what was happening, is the incidents that happened at um, the London Stadium with West Ham. Now, for those that don't know, we'll give you a bit of a recap leading into this. Uh, There were supposed to be fan marches um, against the current ownership uh, that then didn't happen. There were rumors of um, the board actually buying out some of these supporters groups to make sure that they wouldn't march then they go into the match obviously uh, go on to lose that one fans running on the pitch uh, fans running or throwing coins up into the director's box allegedly David Gold actually got hit by one of them Um, Then uh, one of the people in the director's box gave the fingers back to the fans Things not looking very good for them right now. And it's much more poisonous than it was even when they were relegated just a few years back. What do you guys make of all the drama surrounding West Ham at the moment?
2: Um, I think the scenes that we saw um, during the game, we, you know, we don't, nobody wants to see that. I mean, it is tough to see, you know, a famous club like West Ham suffering, you know, Sort of like a, I don't want to say bad ownership because they always seem to be spending reasonable money ish. Um, and, and whenever they like go down or have a tough spell, they always seem to bounce back. Um, but yeah, the the, the behavior of the fans was completely not So, I mean, you know, like stick, sticking the fingers up at the owners is, is fine. Um, you know, booing, whatever, you know, make your opinion known. But I think stuff like obviously um, going on the pitch planting the flag whatever although it was funny like you mentioned <laughs> um but like throwing coins at the director's box and stuff like that that that's like completely unacceptable I think one of the things that like sort of like sticks in my head about West Ham is is that they're sort of like Newcastle in the fact that I feel like they believe that they should be higher than they are sort of unjustifiably mm-hmm. and I don't i don't mean to like be sort of like looking down on them in in that sort of respect you know because you spot Tottenham or I spot Liverpool whatever it's just that you, they, they they seem to believe that like they belong in the Champions League or, or maybe beyond. And even um, I think it was David Gold. I think one of the owners tweeted not a few years ago saying that you know West Ham there's no reason why they couldn't be in, in the Champions League within five years. Yeah. I think that might have been when Payet was you know was still yeah. at the club. But that that's to me just like a don't paint a target like that when you know it's going to be extremely difficult to achieve. And B I think that's going to be completely um impossible for a club like West Ham, even if they do get a good a good player like Payet and have a really good season, which they did, um, that, that play is likely to move on to 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 a bigger club. And I think that, that kind of um this kind of mentality makes makes for this kind of atmosphere at West Ham where if something goes wrong, they believe that they're so far away from where they ought to be that it all just boils over. And obviously I don't think we've ever seen it like this bad. But um, it seems to happen quite regularly, and then obviously this time it's just really spilled over like to the extreme. So yeah, it is, it is sad to see, but it, what the fans were doing was fairly unacceptable, to be fair.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested in what you said, uh, Zach, about the Newcastle kind of connection, because it's kind of a similar thing, obviously, the, the Newcastle situation not nearly as violent or, or uh, outwardly problematic. But do have an owner that they've been trying to get rid of for years. We've seen it with Hull. Um, We've had sympathy for them for years. Um, The the people over at HCAFC Tiger Link we used to have on the show uh, when they were up in the Premier League. They've been fighting a bad owner for years. Do we see change on the horizon? Could just fan uproar boot them out of the club, or are they just kind of damaging their own
2: cause at this point? I feel like enough sort of like fan displeasure that is voiced will eventually see any owners or management or whoever out of the club a player um, it's just finding the right way to go about doing it and obviously West Ham well, that's not going to be the right way to go about it um, but saying that as you mentioned Hull they've got about it in a fairly legit way you know sort of like boycotting games going on marches, social media and that's not worked either so I don't I don't really know what the solution is and I don't know if it's it, it's West Ham are a very very strange club because they're sort of like a yo-yo. One year or two years, you'll think, oh, they're actually doing okay. Maybe, you know, maybe they will be a Europa League contender now regularly, but then it always seems to like yo-yo back the other way. So you see, you could say that change is on the horizon, but in two minutes it could just as easily be, um, you know, as far away as possible because there's such a you know up and down club. Um, I'm not sure to be honest i feel i feel like I feel like if those sort of scenes were repeated um then I think the owners would have to like seriously look at selling the club because that can't happen in society, never mind in in a football game um but yeah, it's not the right way to go about it at all
3: um I mean they're obviously frustrated um I think it's a combination of the ownership. And the new stadium, because you know, it's not necessarily a move that they were they wanted, they were happy with the transition. Um, went very smoothly. It sounds like people were promised that there'd be kind of specific areas for supporters who wanted to sing and stand, and kind of the old cop mentality, um, that you get in certain grounds where supporters who are very vocal and want to stand, and you know, therefore. Or perhaps a little bit more uh, inclined to bunch together, weren't kind of seated together, and seats were sold on a seemingly quite random basis, which meant that you had people getting frustrated. um, If there were families and, you know, had kids, that there was some maybe more fruity language and kind of stuff that you'd know to avoid if you were still... um, you know, in the old ground. Um at Leicester, for example, there are certain parts of the stand that you would want to take your family to, i.e. the family stand, and certain parts that you wouldn't. Now, if they were still at Upton Park, you'd probably know not to buy uh tickets in that particular area and then the transition to a new ground, which is obviously a lot bigger, which has kind of diluted um those those pockets of fans, I think, uh, which has been part of the problem. But obviously it's this is a long-standing uh, issue. Uh, with David Gold and David Sullivan uh, and Karen Brady in their kind of general ownership of the club, um, I feel the fans' frustration, but I think it probably went a bit too far um, against Burnley. Like I, you know, I'm fortunate that Leicester are, are owned by what seem like some of the best owners in football at the moment, and I appreciate how lucky we are. So I'm kind of coming at this from a kind of a, an angle where I can't exactly say we've been the victims of poor ownership, and there are plenty of clubs that have, um, you know some of the institutions in British football um, going back a few years have been decimated in recent years by poor ownership and um, people who are just in it for the money or people who are in it for the perceived money that haven't actually got any money when they've bought clubs. Uh, the fit and proper person's test is the biggest ironic statement in Football Association history. It essentially doesn't exist. Um, so there are plenty of clubs that have been down this road, but you know, to, for a Premier League club to be showing supporters on the pitch. You know, Mark Noble pretty much having to throw one off with his own fair hands because of a lack of security. Um, that's obviously a different issue, the, the the lack of stewarding around the club and inability to stop fans coming onto the pitch. But it just seems there's so much anger there at the moment. And actually, I know what you were saying about the, the fan march and stuff. Like, surely it's better to have fans marching outside the ground, make their protest perfectly clear, um, and then follow up with hopefully a, support, you know, a a proper supportive display of the team on the pitch. Because then you've made your point. You've had your opportunity in the couple of hours to sort of run up to the game. Uh, the owners will obviously be very much aware. And one of the things with the West Ham owners is they're very vocal on, on social media and they're very public personas, whereas that can be a double-edged sword. Because if you're that visible, you're also available for comment kind of people will take shots at you on Twitter. Um, I think it's Jack Sullivan. the David Sullivan's son is very vocal on Twitter and has kind of announced transfers before they're officially done before. And he kind of is, is very keen to make him, his presence heard on, on social media channels. So it's difficult. That's frustrating, but they kind of went too far and, you know, they've still got quite a few home games left this season. I think they've got six out of their last nine Premier League games at home. So it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season develops because, yesterday feels like a real turning point. It's either going to be a case that people will realise they've gone too far or it's only going to get worse. And if that's the case, then they could see games abandoned. I'm really surprised that yesterday wasn't abandoned after seeing the, the scenes of it this morning because that wasn't safe for players, for supporters that are in the ground, you know, kids having to take refuge in the dugout. You can't have fans pelting other people in the ground with, coins and you know regardless of who they are you just you can't do it and they went too far and hopefully it's the last we see of it and you know they've made their point now and we'll see what the summer brings but you know they're still wearing very much in a relegation fight and if that negative attitude continues like Trevor Brookin said in his interview with the BBC today you know that could see them relegated that could be the difference especially with so many home games left uh, before now and the end of the season
1: yeah Dan very interested to get your take on what Jim said there but also, uh, as a member of a fan base that is currently going through a lot of turmoil, what's it like seeing it being so much worse at, at West Ham? Does that kind of alleviate any of the stress of the whole Venger in versus Venger
4: out groups? Um, it doesn't alleviate any of that, but I, I I, get the fans are angry. I get they are unhappy with the spending and the stadium move, which I don't really think they should be unhappy with. State. Whatever, I'm not their fan. I can't talk on that but um i they went way too far i can't imagine there being any circumstances where i think any of that is even kind of okay it's a complete disgrace but like you had how many was it four people were on the pitch you had mm-hmm. people checking the owners you had it, it was it was awful that's it's just there's no way that it's ever okay none of that, that is ever okay terrible
1: yeah what do you like, do I, with with uh the fans that did that are, are they now permabanned if it's at your clubs which
4: which thing <laughs> there are like six different things um
1: <laughs> the, the pitch <laughs> ones are the most obvious but i mean all of which it is on cameras can,
4: um, those, that's easy um throw, uh, how many people do we actually know through coins <laughs> i do Roughly, not know I don't, okay, yeah, uh, yeah i don't know
3: it was such a baying mob um yeah that
4: that's the problem
3: difficult to identify exactly who's doing what and you know yeah. If it, but yeah i mean if you're if you're the person on the pitch or whatever you should never you yeah, should be every football you stadium do. in england that should be a blanket thing that if you enter the pitch you know in that kind of manner um i know people have pitch invasions when they get promoted and stuff that's slightly different, that's different. If, no. if, if there's malice behind it and you enter the field of play it's a criminal offense you should be um de- dealt with by the law and you should have your season ticket revokes or whatever and not and be banned from the ground. It's as simple as that because you can't have that kind of example for people um or anybody trying to and the thing is if you don't do anything about it, it legitimizes it from a point of view of a protest, you know, whether it be at that club or another, because then you've kind of made a precedent for yourself of not punishing those people harshly. And then someone's gonna think, well, what's the worst that can happen if I go on the pitch in the next mm. game? Because you didn't punish this person. So you're not gonna punish me. Um you know, it's, it doesn't always work that way. It is Dan's right. It's just wrong. It should. It should be. It's just. It. It needs to be stamped out. You can't have a return to this kind of mentality when people aren't happy. There needs to be proper channels for people to get their their voices across. And there are plenty. I'm not. You know, I'm not trying to make this a hierarchy of poor ownership, but West Ham are remarkably you know, high up in the footballing pyramid. And I know they're trying to... Yeah, that's
4: it. the other thing I was going to say. Like, yeah. I know you're angry. I know the fans are angry. You're a Premier League club. You have... I know you don't like the new stadium, but it's a nice new stadium. Yeah. Shut up. I mean, Just,
3: you look at up. you look at some clubs like Nottingham Forest, um, Coventry City, Leeds, um, Blackpool. Charlton. These,
4: Charlton? Yeah. They actually was, have a I mean, problems. Like, there are, there are I bits. know you're not spending as much money as you like, but come on now.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've <laughs> seen protest marches at at Charlton, at Blackpool. I mean, these owners have basically run their clubs into the ground after several relegations in Blackpool's case. Um, that is, you know, that is obviously not okay from an ownership point of view either. But it, it feels like West Ham fans are th- that het up and annoyed over missold ambitions or yeah. missold promises about spending on players. And it's not like they've not brought any players in. It's just that the players that have brought in have been largely old, overpaid and terrible. And I think, obviously I think the ownership have probably oversold the move to the new stadium. You know, they thought it would be the catapult because they had such a good season in their last year at um, Upton Park. And they were, you know, they finished the year really strong. And I think they felt like they were going to go into this new stadium with this kind of vibrant top, you know, maybe not top four, but kind of being pushing towards the Europa League places. And it just hasn't happened um, for a number of reasons. But there are plenty of clubs that are in more dire straits than West Ham. Again,
4: Just your league Pae dragged you to an incredible your... season. Doesn't mean you, and now you didn't repeat that a bunch of times. Yeah, it doesn't mean exactly. like you're exactly. the worst club ever.
3: I'm not saying your league position should dictate your monopoly on complaining or protesting. No, you're not be. happy with the ownership. That's absolutely your right to make your feelings known. But taking it onto the field of play during a match is both dangerous and illegal and you know should be dealt with accordingly you can't you can't start i mean it's just yeah it just feels like they went way too far and i just i, I- it almost feels like if the, if again, we don't know whether the ownership have paid off the fan groups or whatever, but that's only going to make things worse. I'm not sure what they were thinking if they did that, because it's, it's not like that's going to make it go away. There are still mm. plenty of fans that aren't part of those groups that would just be even more frustrated because they probably wanted their moment in the sun. They wanted their opportunity to march before the game and to make their points known. And that's absolutely their right. You know, supporters of a club have every right to make their feelings known. But when you cross that line, you you have to deal with the consequences and, you know, the fact that the players had to physically restrain fans that are on the pitch and get them to leave is just, you know, it's another sad, sorry state of affairs that we just don't want to see in any football, let alone at top-level football where it's meant to be kind of the higher echelon of the English game.
4: Beginning of the game, if, if owners if they actually paid off the fans after doing that, well, the optics might be a bit better after the game. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> it, it is uh, obviously been taken to an extreme and uh, as Jim said, we we obviously do not know if uh, they did actually pay off fan groups, but we were talking in the pre-show. The problem is, is that it's believable. Like, at what other club right now would you be like? They're paying off fan groups to prevent them from marching, and you'd just be like, "Oh yeah, that sounds like them." <laughs> that yeah, sounds the about right. That it
3: isn't dismissed out of hand as yeah. a completely yeah. fan, uh, fantasist story is, you know, speaks volumes about the overall, um, you know, state of the club that it's in. But ultimately, yeah, you know, as we've said, fans need to not deal with it of course they have their own ways of of, of of getting their message across but you know it could be a hell of a lot worse yeah yeah just it's don't do free. that
4: yeah mad, just, whatever just, just don't do that keep it, keep it legal that's what you <laughs> need to do don't run on the pitch and don't try and murder people with coins yeah fair point fair point <laughs> these, these are not high standards we're holding
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a good lesson for everybody at home don't murder people with coins um All right, Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with uh, club-specific questions for each of our guests.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: All right, and we are back. Uh, we'll lead off with you, Jim, with Lester. Obviously, the big deadline day story, at least as it was being pushed by Sky, was whether or not Mara's was going to go to Manchester City. Obviously, ends up not happening. Shades, funnily enough, of the Alexis deal uh, at the previous deadline day. So Riyad Mahrez kicks up a bit of a fuss to try to force it through on deadline day. It doesn't happen. He was kind of held out for a little bit. Now he's back. He scored an incredible free kick. What was that? Two weeks ago. Obviously yeah. he has a, a fantastic match here. I think a goal and an assist this week. Now that he's performing for the club again, has this kind of given a route for him back into the fans good graces? Do you think he'll be here long term? What's, what's your view of the Mahrez situation uh, from the Leicester side?
3: He's been accepted, I think, back into the fan base with kind of fairly open arms, considering quite what we've been. Through. This isn't the first rodeo with Real either. Um, if you cast your minds back to the uh, summer uh, transfer window when he was on international duty uh, with Algeria and just went missing in action for a full 24 hours. Um, when a, a, several moves were being mooted by the media, there was links with Roma, I think, which was solid, um, but there was a bit of an issue over price. There was this weird link with um, Barcelona when um, it would look like they weren't going to get uh, Coutinho, and obviously they were searching for a player and ended up obviously buying uh, Dembele at that point. But there was, you know, he was being linked with plenty of clubs, and he obviously wanted to leave. But at the end of the day, Leicester have an asset. In Riyad Mahrez, who signed to a long-term contract, I know that all doesn't very often mean anything in football, but it's a very long-term, expensive in Leicester's terms contract. Nobody bid what we believe to be an acceptable figure, and that includes Manchester City in the latest window. So we weren't going to be, you know, the ones to lose out as well as losing our best player, because that's not the way transfers work in the last forty-eight hours of a window. If you're the buying club, you have to match the selling clubs price. And if Manchester City had really wanted him, they would have come in and bid for him before Lee Rossano got injured and they realized they might be a little bit short and might not maintain their 17 point at the top uh, 17 point lead at the top of the Premier League. Now, you know, that's by the by. If they wanted him that badly, they should have bid the proper money because Leicester would sell for a price. They're just not going to sell for a price that leaves them short of time and the re- and the money to get a replacement in plus what we think Riyad Mahrez is worth. That's not the way transfers work at that late stage. Um, I think he has been accepted back into the um, the fan base with open arms. I think if you watch the highlights from uh, the game, the last home game when he scored that free kick, um, you know every fan was on their seat chanting Riyad, Riyad, Riyad. At the end, they they've very much been accepted back. I think he's getting more hate from opposition fans than he is from Leicester fans. He seems to be the kind of scapegoat in the same way that Deli Ali gets it at Tottenham uh, for his perceived diving. Um Mares seems to be the standard money-grabbing modern footballer for a lot of fan bases at the moment. So he gets booed, which I think only jeers him um, kind of gets him riled up and jeers him on. So if I was the next set of opposition fans, I wouldn't be doing that. So it doesn't seem to end very well for you. Um but yeah, he's been welcomed back. Long term, he he won't, I don't think he'll be at Leicester long term. I think he will leave. I think he's more than capable of playing at a much higher level um, at an elite club, uh, a Champions League regular club. Um, it just is going to be the case of who bids the real money for him it first. It's weird. Like, Mares seems to be overrated and underrated at the same time, overrated by people who think he's the second coming, which he mm-hmm. isn't. He's a very, very good player, but underrated with everyone in football who's got the purse strings. Like, if I told you that an unnamed player had helped, a team that were huge rank outsiders to win the Premier League, won the PFA Player of the Year award in that season and continued to score at a really decent rate, you know, 10 goals, 10 assists uh, most seasons or above um, in his time at Leicester, how much would you pay for him in the modern market, considering what Coutinho has just gone to Barcelona for, what Neymar went, and I'm not saying he's on that level, but considering those transfers elevate the upper ceiling of the transfer market, if you came back with like 40 million plus mangala in part exchange i'd laugh in your face and that's what leicester did um i don't think they're against him leaving they just want a proper bid and a realistic bid which allows us to replace him because that puts you in a position as manchester city have found where if people know you've got money the price immediately goes up and that's just the way the world works as soon as someone comes in and pays the money then we'll let him go but until that point don't bother with insulting bids which is what we've been met with so far
1: yeah, it's good to see that he's been accepted back. But I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be there for too much longer. Uh, but I assume you'll be able to just stick to your guns, as you mentioned. Uh, there isn't a, a significant, um, a great significance to long-term contracts, meaning they'll stay a long time. But it does up their price. So would you hold out for what it sounded like it was going to be more than sixty million uh, in, here in the January window?
3: Yeah, I think you know. I actually think six. If they if Manchester City had bid sixty million on January the first, I think we'd have sold it. It was purely because it was 48 hours before the deadline. Mm. And it not only means that you lose your best player with 48 hours to go and obviously the rest of the season ahead of you, but you also have very little time to replace him. If Manchester City had slapped a bit of 60 million cash on the table on January 1st, I absolutely believe we'd have sold him um, without question. Now, that's just my gut instinct. I've got no inside knowledge as to whether they would have done that. But I believe that's probably a fair value for a player of his, you know, worth. And that would have given us 30 days to sign a replacement. Um, And we could have gone out and done our business because I'm sure we would have had replacements lined up. Or we would have taken the decision to go and sign. I mean, we got Diabate in uh, during the January transfer window, who's a a young prospect from France, very much in the mould of uh, Riyad Mahrez. Not physically. um, He's a lot bigger and quicker. Uh, Well, not quicker, but he's a lot bigger and stronger. But he's certainly in that mould of. Anthony Nockart, Riyad Mahrez, who've been plucked from the lower clubs in France, uh, with the idea that they're going to they are going to develop into good quality players for Leicester. Now. We might have taken the decision at that point not to replace Mahrez directly and to stick with the resources that we have, whether it be uh, Damari Gray getting a more of a run in the team. We've got Adrian Silver to come in, obviously, because of the fast that was the summer deadline day and him training with us for four months and not being able to kick a ball competitively. Um, but that's our choice to make as the selling club, not to be have our hands forced just because it's Manchester City. It, it kind of felt like this, oh, but it's Manchester City, you should tell to them. Why? Like, That it makes no difference who they are. The point is that we're still going to be without our best player. So, I think he'll leave uh, in the summer. But the thing is now, Algeria haven't qualified for the World Cup. Now, in a in a summer where the world's footballing eyes are going to be on uh, Russia and all the players there, yeah, and all the hypes, uh, all the hyped players that we're going to see sold for silly money off the back of two or three good performances. Looking at you, Moussa Sissoko in the last Euros. You know, that kind of thing. It's, you know, that he isn't going to feature in that shot window. Now, does that mean he's going to fall below the pecking, down the pecking order compared to players who are at the tournament? Maybe he might get left on the shelf again. There's every chance that he is. And then obviously we're going to have to deal with the situation of his agent, obviously trying to engineer him a move um, and potentially people, again, not reaching what we think he's worth. So we've already had two installments of this saga. I wouldn't put it past us to have a third. That's for sure.
1: Very interesting, and we'll definitely keep our eyes on that as well. Um, We talked to Jamie last week because Burnley had just hit the 40-point mark and we're therefore technically uh, (laughs) and historically safe. Um, Lester hit that mark this week, so kind of going to follow up on that uh, question we asked him, which was, what do you think we'll see from Leicester for the rest of the season? You mentioned Damari Gray. You've been bringing in Ben Chilwell in more and more. Do you think we'll kind of see more of these young players given chances Uh, as we head into the end of the season. What can we expect from Leicester?
3: Uh, It's difficult because we've kind of, we we hit a bit of a rut until Saturday. Um, The performances haven't been particularly good, um, particularly at home for the last couple of games um Swansea game Bournemouth wasn't good either um and they were really winnable games and I think when we kind of really got that turn of the year uh form going we kind of we were looking at Burnley and saying we could catch them and of course we still could um what Burnley continues to do is incredible um and, and nobody should take that away from them but I think we thought looking at our squad depth and the way that they've dropped off historically in previous seasons after starting really well that we might uh push on and kind of nick that seventh place now that's still potential, but I think with the cut run, um, the Premier League is going to become of less and less importance. Um, obviously, we made the quarterfinals of the, the League Cup, got knocked out by Manchester City on penalties. Uh, we've got Chelsea uh, this Sunday coming in the, uh, in the FA Cup. Obviously, that comes a couple of days after they get back from Barcelona um, for the second leg of their Champions League tie. So I think we're pinning our hopes on them being either a little bit drained or a little bit elated at managing to knock out Barcelona and taking their eyes off the ball a little bit. Um, and obviously, where we to progress through that, you've got semis and a potential final at Wembley. So, um, I think that will become our main aim. I think we've been safe. Um, I said this to you before, Kev, off air, but I think we've been safe for a little while purely because there are so many teams down there scrapping below us that you could probably stay up on mid 30s this year because there are so many clubs taking points off each other at the bottom. Um, so. You know, I think we've felt safe for a little while. I don't think relegation has been on the lips of too many fans for, for a while since Puel came in and got that initial spike of, of managerial bounce. So, yeah, I think we'll start to kind of... I mean, Chilwell has been bedded in now, I think, as the first-choice left-back. He's he's not had the most consistent of times, but that comes with young players. We saw it with Trent Alexander-Arnold yesterday. Um, you know, young players are going to make mistakes, but that's how they learn. Um, it's kind of that growing pain of... of, of getting him through that and hopefully him coming through that as a stronger player and becoming better as part of it. Um, I think we're very quick to expect young, inexperienced players to be at the level of their more experienced counterparts far too regularly. Like people forget that, you know, when you're young, you might be able to put a couple of games together of really good performances, but there's probably a little mistake in there somewhere, but that's what you wind out and that makes you a better player. Um, I think we'll see a bit more of the likes of Diabate. As the season comes to an end, people start winding down. Um, particularly, you know, if we do go on in the cup, I think the league will start to become that rotation uh, to keep our best players free for, for the following games. Um, Claude Puel still doesn't know who his best central midfield partnership is. Uh, we've got far too many players in that position. Um, you know, there are, li- I think there are five, we have you got? Five central midfielders that can lay play into two places. And you so got, you got, got rid of Drinkwater and, Didier,
1: and King this year.
3: Yeah, we've got rid of Drinkwater and King. So you've got Ndidi, Diddy who seems to be the number one pick, but then you've also got Matty James, uh, Adrian Silva, um Vin- Vicente Bora as well. You know, so it's it's really, really difficult because he doesn't seem to know what his best team is, and that doesn't help because players aren't getting runs in the team, like it's being rotated week after week. Ibora looked majestic against West Brom yesterday, but then as a few of my mates have discussed in the last few hours, how good are you going to look against West Brom regardless? Like, is it the fact it's Ebora or is it the fact that you were playing West Brom? Now, I would I would prefer um and Diddy and Abora to start. I think they're my starting uh, two. Um, interestingly, Adrian Silver wasn't even in the the 18 yesterday, um, and was left out as a tactical decision. Uh, as Danny Simpson was the week before um, at right back. So whether or not that hints at some disharmony there or whether it's just struggling to get players into positions, I don't know. But yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how that's, those spots develop because, you know, you, you can't carry on keeping five central midfielders happy um, when you're only playing that four four two 4 2 formation uh, that utilises two of them. So Puel's got some decisions to make, but, you know, the, he needs to find his first choice pairing and kind of stick to it to allow them to to get the best out of each other and start forming a partnership just as you would with with centre-backs
1: yeah we'll definitely keep an eye on that as well uh Zach it's been a good time for Liverpool of late we did a whole show um, earlier this week uh, as we record on the weird improvements Liverpool have made since uh, losing Catinho. obviously the loss to United not as exciting but what has been exciting is uh, your success in the Champions League Obviously, dominating Porto like that uh, in the first leg meant you really didn't have to put that much effort in in the second one, and it showed at times. Um, But what are the objectives for Liverpool this year? It seems like uh, you're pretty confident in top four, but what do you think your odds are in this year's Champions League? Surely you wouldn't be fearing anyone at this point.
2: Uh, Yeah, it has been quite an exciting time. I really worried when we lost Coutinho, to be honest, simply because... um, when we come up against low block teams, as we did against United literally yesterday, um, we do tend to struggle and it was kind of better when Coutinho was there because he could sort of like, you know, bang one in from say 25 yards when literally no one else in the squad can really do that. And that, that, that's the kind of like match winning action that you need um, in those kind of games. Um, since he's gone, like I said, yeah, it seems like we've made some some, some improvements elsewhere, despite not strengthening the squad. Um I feel like even though we weren't even though i didn't'm I'm not, I'm not saying Coutinho was lazy and he wasn't he wasn't the worst like defensive you know he he wasn't the worst defensively compared to like other attacking mids I don't think he did his job he did he did his bit for the team um, but yeah we seem to be a bit a little bit a, a little bit solid a little bit more solid since he left uh, we seem a more balanced side, but I think that's I think up until yesterday we had a lot of plays that were sort of like in a good a good vein of form all, all at the same time um Milner, for example, has completely turned my opinion on him around. Obviously, I know he's gonna he's gonna have limitations every now and then, and I know he's not gonna do X, Y, and Z. But in terms of like effort and sort of like he's not not so much effort. He's always had effort, but I mean it, that effort was creating things. Like it was sort of it was benefiting the team rather than just being like a headless chicken, which I think Adam Lallana is. So it was. All these players that are in form has made it really exciting. And like I say, we, we're looking kind of secure in top four. Uh, the loss to United wasn't great. I would have taken a point before the game, absolutely 100%. Um, unfortunately, we lost. And Chelsea are still, I think, they're four points behind us, which gives us sort of like a two-game, well, one-game buffer, basically, which is which is good. But um, your guys leapfrogged us, which is a bit disappointing. I would I would at least like to finish in the top, th- the top three if we can't catch United. But yeah, fourth, fourth the same as third and second. I think fourth is an automatic um, Champions League entry this it is, this season. Yeah, no playoff anymore. Yeah, so you know it's it's all the same, really. It's just it's just sort of pride in that respect. But yeah, we do need to need to finish in that top four. In terms of Champions League, um, definitely, I feel as if we don't fear anyone. But I also feel as if as as like um as a fan base, we need to be a bit careful in the in in that regard. I mean, I saw it on Twitter. I saw a couple of people say we were like arrogant going into the United game, even though it's like a massive, massive bogey ground for us. I mean, they literally it's just torture going there. We never win. <laughs> it's it's like so hard to get points there for us. And we were quite confident, so people have been saying we were, we we're arrogant, we're you know, these kind of performances just around the corner with Liverpool. And it is to a certain extent, it is correct. But um in the Champions League I don't really fear anyone. I feel as if like it, which, there's just that extra five percent during during those Champions League games. And we had a bit of a tough start with um draws with Spartak and I've completely I've completely forgot what the other team is in our group. Uh, <laughs> not, not oh, horrible. Severe and Severe, yeah. Yeah. We gave we we, we gave a poor a poor game away to Sevilla at home. And then uh, the draw with Sparta was really disappointing. We had a, we had a bit of a tough start. I think that's when we played United the first time. We hadn't won in like seven games or something. But um, since then we've really kicked on in the Champions League. And every time we play in there, I, f- I feel like Liverpool when we was, when it was under Benitez, where we can literally go out and beat anyone. And especially at Anfield, obviously the parcel game is a bit different because you. <laughs> I was I was actually at the game and we literally didn't have to come out of like first game. It was so easy they just didn't want to be humiliated again and we were happy to just like pass the ball around between the center backs for the whole game. But yeah, every time we're in the Champions League I feel confident and although we shouldn't like I said we shouldn't we shouldn't go arrogant on that um, yeah, bring it on to be honest. I would definitely <laughs> like to draw United um just just for the chance to get one over on them again. But as you say, if we draw United again, who's to say we're not going to get beat again? Um, they're a good team. Unfortunately, I'm not a massive fan of Reno or the way he plays, but they are a good team, and they showed that in the performance yesterday. Mm. So yeah, I think I feel like for Liverpool, I think the target should be semi-finals. Uh, like, let's get through the quarterfinals. Hopefully, fingers crossed, pull out some great performances. Hopefully, get through, and then the semi-finals. I think that'd be a great achievement: semi-finals and top four for Liverpool this season.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody would snub their nose at that one. Um, You mentioned center backs there. I feel like we have to get into this because we haven't really talked about uh, Dejan Lovren that much this season. I had seen some people saying he had been looking much more assured uh, with Van Dijk as his partner. Um, Obviously, uh, has not been the best since joining the club. What have you made of his performances since Van Dijk has come to the club? Do you think he's kind of turned things around or is it just another false dawn for him?
2: Um, he's definitely performed better with Van Dyke next to him. It's, it's, it's a really strange one because as far as I'm aware, he's always been labeled a left center back. As far as I'm aware. Um, when he was at Southampton font was on his right. Um, when we signed him, like I knew he was a left center back, but I assumed he was going to play on the right because of Sacco. But it does seem that he plays better as a right center back. And, and yes, he has improved since Van Dyke came in because Van Dyke's left center back and therefore Lovren when he's played switched over to that side. Um, and van dyke's good. Yeah, and van dyke can get him through games and van dyke's a very good player especially in the air, yeah. Um yeah, I've really enjoyed the van dyke signing, but in terms of Lovren, yeah, this 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 performance like against United is just around the corner all the time. I, and do you know what, I actually tweeted um not long ago, um I have to be, but he must have played well in in some game and I said it's like it's like it's like a circle on here like, everything goes around in circles like Love will have it'll start loving love have a poor performance. will will everyone will slay him, he'll get dropped. Then he'll have like two games maybe absent where he won't play all he'll play you know minimum minutes or something like that, as we've seen, like let's say tottenham when when you absolutely tore him to shreds and then he had a bit of time off, basically. Mm. um he comes back in, performs well against say a newcastle at home who's shown no ambition um and he can just sort of like stroll through the game, passing it around. Maybe make one or two interceptions. That's it, because you know he is a front front defender. When it when it comes off, it looks good. Um, And then, and then inevitably, he talks himself up. There'll there'll be an interview before a big game, saying he's sort of like uh, turned it around. How he wants to like show everyone that he's one of the best defenders in the Premier League. And then in that exact game, the night before, with the interview the night before, he he will make a mess. He did it against Tottenham. He did it against United. Yesterday or two days ago, whenever you guys listen to this, and this is the kind of defender that that he is. He's just he's always got that that bad performance literally around the corner. And against United, it just happened. In all in all in all fairness to you, when when Lukaku was at Everton and in his United appearances against us so far, just the one, um, he's performed pretty well. He's dominated Lukaku. He's made him look like like a boy because Lovren sometimes did turn up in big games and he and he's done well against Everton in the past. But in, on this occasion, Lukaku just had the absolute measure of him. Um, th- the first goal is a flick on. The second one, he just bullies Lovren and eventually he just brings it down and, and threads the ball through, causes confusion. And, yeah, I, I've never been Lovren's biggest fan. Um, when we signed him, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But since then, it's just it's just been a, a catastrophe, to be honest. I'm hoping I'm hoping that'll sort of be like he's the watershed moment for Klopp, and he just won't play him again because he can't trust him. And he had, eventually he had the same the, the same moment with Mignolet um, at the turn of the year, which is which is now made clear. and I'm, I'm number one, and he's playing quite well for, for that decision. And ho- I'm hoping that 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 decision is not too far away from with Klopp for Lovren because um, he's just cost us so many points, and you know. I can't. Yesterday would not have been so bad without Lovren. I mean, United created nothing outside of those two opportunities. It's so sad to like to like look back on the game and know that that it it might not have been so bad if it wasn't for one player. It just just disappoints you because the team wasn't playing. The team had an off day, but we still dominated United at Old Trafford. Like obviously they allowed they sort of allowed that in in terms of their gameplay because they could sit in after Rashford. Rashford scored those two goals the first one was brilliant by the way um and we sort of allowed them to play that game plan but even so like we were pinning them in and we were sort of like bouncing the back every time they tried to escape so it's just really disappointing that again you know those boys, the other boys you feel bad for for the other players because they' were they've, they've they've done the hard work or you know to get back into the game etc and it's and it's one guy who's let them down and it's always the same player it's just its just it's pretty, it's pretty, it's very deflating as a Liverpool fan. Hopefully, um, his days are numbered as, as a Liverpool player because he's had enough chances, he's been here for years now.
1: Yeah, not super kind words, but I, I do think it's time for, for the club to move on. As you say, it just continues to be the cause of most of your mistakes. Although Trent Alexander Arnold did get uh, beaten by Rashford twice yesterday, but he's young and still developing. I think that's why it's more inexcusable for somebody like Lovren, who, uh, as you say, keeps claiming he's. Better than he is. And, to be fair, looked it when he was at Southampton. Um, Dan, with Arsenal, there's not really much going on at that club ever. Obviously, we're we're coming out of a period where it was getting pretty nasty until we saw what's happening at West Ham um, with the attitude towards Wenger and uh, his stay at the club recently. But now, kind of two really nice uh, results winning away at Milan 2-0. Uh, is obviously a boost, and then winning as heavily as you did today, uh, as we record, uh, has to be a boost as well. Not saying that it, it will uh, give him a, a stay uh, beyond the summer, uh, but do you think there's a better chance that he could have kind of a more positive exit?
4: I don't really know um, if, if, if the results matter at this point, because um, the only way like, you would have a really good stay is if he wins the Europa League, but if he wins the Europa League, he might stay, because the whole oh, big thing... I think well the big thing seems to be with the Cronkies is um are we in the Champions League or not? That was kind of the whole the thi- or the thing. Like, okay, you didn't make it last year, get in this year and you're fine. Um, ultimately it's apparently Josh Cronkies' decision, so but I I don't I don't am not in his head, but that seems to be based on reporting the the, the big thick target to hit. So, you know, if you want to Europa League you're back in the Champions League and that would be a thing. Um so I don't know if the results will make too much of a difference at this point because if he wins Europa League he might stay. If not, I don't. then everyone's unhappy anyway. It's mm. Arsenal. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how much resu- or how much difference results make at this point, especially for league games. Um, it's actually it's kind of not fun but it's weirdly relaxing we're like these really games don't really matter let's just score a few and have some fun <laughs> i don't know we're done like we're not making top four so what
1: <laughs> yeah that, that's actually pretty interesting that the the relax of tension which yeah no i
4: just woke up like yeah this game doesn't really matter yeah, like, we'll see what yeah happens. sure let's let's just score a few <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> really... do, you,
1: do you think it's that black and white that if he gets you in the champions league he stays and if he doesn't he goes
4: based on reporting it could be i don't obviously I have no inside knowledge or anything um i don't think it should be but it could be um the Gronkies are you know that's they want the money you get from champions league and that's what's most important to them which is fair enough um if he's in the champions league he's in the champions league and they do like him but it's more like they would have been happy to keep him if he just kept getting top four top four top four uh, at least that is what has been reported and that seems to be the case but you know, if he starts missing, then that's a problem. So if he, get, if he gets back in, there goes the problem.
1: All right, and on a different note, I was curious uh, to hear your take on uh, Granit Xhaka. Obviously, was a huge pro- profile move a couple years back. Um, maybe not seen his best since he's been at Arsenal. What do you make of his stay thus far
4: and his future at Arsenal? I defend him a lot last season. Thought he was better than people said, and this year he has not not at all. Um, back me up. He has been bad, even if he was good today. Um, it was pretty good at Milan. He's not been good at all this season, and I'm not sure if he's gonna work out in general. I'm not sure he's gonna get the best or he's banger's gonna be able to get the best out of him. He doesn't really seem to know how to use him. Um, and I think he is limited in a way where he kind of needs a specific setup to work. Um, Maybe not a specific setup, but specific, more defined roles when he's going to get under Wenger. Um Yeah, I think he's. A, I think he could be a decent player, but I'm not sure he will be for us. Um, it'd be cool if he keeps playing like he has for the last what is it four days, because he, he's been good in the last two games, but we've said that before, um, and he hasn't been.
5: Yes. Yeah.
4: <laughs> All right, now we're going to head into
1: Player Watch, uh, and we're going to each go through and uh, talk about a player at our club that is perhaps coasting on reputation, if there is one. Who is it? And is there a better option than
2: them in-house? Um, yeah, if, for that theme, I'd probably have to just go for Lovren, to be honest. <laughs> I, I mean, with the comments I've just said, you probably would say that he's not coasting because, it, you know, he's he sort of like his ass is on fire because, you know, there's comments i right and said from the media and social media and fans in the stadium and everything. But um, I think he is sort of living off reputation because this happens... In the cycle that I mentioned, he lives off the reputation of the one game from the start of the cycle. Like, let's say a 2 0 at Newcastle that we win, and then for the next four games he'll live off that. And then the big game will come along, and he'll get picked for the big game off off this like little fake reputation that he spins for himself in the media with his interviews and stuff. And then, yeah, get, gets 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 the, gets the nod in the big game, and he'll let you down. So he, he's sort of like living off his um his reputation as well I suppose but I think I think another player you could also say falls into that for Liverpool is Adam Lallana he had that really good that really good season I think he had a really good season at Southampton the season before Liverpool signed him
1: yeah Um,
2: he had like like three months at Liverpool yeah exactly really impressive and then since then other than the excellent excellent three months at the start of last season when when we were sort of like hoping to get a title challenge going with Chelsea um, let's say we were like five to seven points behind-ish um, he's literally except except for those two periods, so the three months of Liverpool and the season with Southampton. adam milano has done has done nothing to, to command this this media love that everyone has for him. I mean, he's an okay player, and he was if he was somewhere like Newcastle, I'd probably be really impressed with him again like I was at Southampton. but it's just it's like the incessant noise to have him like start games like People writing about him and commentators talking about him, saying Adam Lallana's like, you know, he's still a vital cog in this Liverpool team. He's trying to get his fitness back so he can get back in the starting eleven. But everyone's fit. How how can he start? I don't. I I can't find a space for him. I mean, you've got the front three, which obviously pick themselves Mane, Salah, and Firmino, and then you've got the middle three. Let's say, let's say if everyone's fit, Henderson in the six, Chan in sort of like the eight, even though I know he wants to play in the six himself. And then the other one for me, I think for everybody else, would be outside Chamberlain. I mean, he's really come on as a player since he's since he signed for us, in my opinion. So where does Lallana come into this? I, I think I feel like it's got something to do with the fact that he had some good performances for England, and he is sort of like a more technical player compared to some of the you know past and present English players. But sometimes those technical traits get in the way. For example, yesterday. Uh, Adam Lallana received the ball in the half turn in the United half, and they weren't stretched, but but they they were looking a bit lighter in defence than they had been in other portions of the game when they sort of got ten behind the ball. And he had a chance to feed Robertson in down the left, which is where most of our play was going down. Robertson had a good game, and he could have he could have done he could have done sort of like a through ball on the floor, or he could have chipped it over the over Antonio Valencia, I think, in the right back slot for Robertson, who was on, who was just absolutely buccaneering down the left, and he chose not to do it, and that lack of vision, or the lack of confidence to execute, is just something that has dogged Alana since he's been at Liverpool, either he can't see it, or he's not confident to do it, and we need him to do it, because we're going to be playing against teams that are in this sort of low block, you know, every other week, so, in my opinion, what use, what use is he as a player to our squad? I mean, he's okay to come off the bench, but when we're, when we're down 2-1 two, two, to United, Old Trafford, and we need someone to find that killer pass for Robertson so he can square it for Mane, Salah and Firmino, then that's not, he's not the guy, and he never has been. He gets the ball, he does a cry of turn, does another cry of turn, and they will play it back to Coutinho when he was here. Or, and nowadays, he'll play it back to Milner, Chan, I'll say Chamberlain. So, yeah, for me, he's coasting. Yeah. In fact, I'd actually pick him over over Lovren as a guy who's coasting on, on a reputation.
3: Hmm. Well, yeah, it's. I've talked about the central midfield uh, dilemma already. It's not like any one of those players are there on reputation. Um, there is one player that immediately sprung to mind when I saw this on the running order, and it might come as a bit of a surprise to people, but it's Wes Morgan. Um, mm. I am a big Wes Morgan fan, but even during the previous season, I was touting the idea that he was probably not one of our best two centre-backs um so again i don't want this to come across as after timing but i have been saying this for a little while um he got injured uh, he was out for like six or seven weeks um earlier on in the season around that kind of christmas turn of the year time um and um alexander dragovic came in who we've got on loan uh, and apparently we've got the first option to buy if we want to in the summer And he and Harry Maguire were absolute rocks. I think we kept something stupid like six clean sheets in eight games. Um, Now, obviously, part of that might be how the fixtures ran for us at that period. But we were playing some of the best football. And obviously, that was around Puel coming in as well and and kind of riding that new manager bounce. But they were an absolute quality centre-back pairing and seemed to just gel almost immediately. Um, Dragovic has since kind of been... um, Put to the to the back of the pile again when Morgan came fit, and obviously he is our captain. But much the same as you know, maybe Per Mertesacker is a good example at Arsenal. He might be the club captain, doesn't necessarily mean he's one of the best two centre backs at the club, and wouldn't yeah, be just, first just choice. Just take
4: note of us. You just don't play your captain.
3: That's how yeah, it works yeah, in so, yeah, You don't play your Start captain. Come on. Ceremonial position as opposed to an actual functional one. Um, you if you player, want to have a nicer take, take on that,
4: it's the he's the dressing room guy. He's the captain in yeah. the dressing room, as opposed to on the pitch. Absolutely, That's a
3: nicer way to put it. You know, yeah, a leader off the field rather than on it yeah. um, on a game to game basis. And I I love Wes. I think he's synonymous with you know together with Jamie Vardy, he's probably synonymous with the rise to fame for Leicester. Like he played so much of his career at the championship level for Leicester's local rivals, Nottingham Forest, uh, came in, you know, it, that's a big move going from Leicester to, to Forest or vice versa. So all play to, all fair play to him for, for doing that and obviously led us to the title um, under Ranieri. But he is not one of our best two centre-backs and yet continues to be played as one and is an automatic kind of first pick. Now, that is... An issue, I think, in the long term, because it's how do you go about transitioning him out of that role and at what point do you kind of cut the the apron strings, as it were? Like Robert Hooth has been displaced by the fact we bought Harry Maguire um in the summer and you know, with good reason. I don't think Hooth's played a competitive game for us this year because he started injured, came back, he's played a few twenty three games. Uh, which is laughable considering he's like 34 um, and, you know, various kind of Premier League two games to get fit there. But he, I don't think he's played competitively for us this year. Um, So it's more, I think, a long-term plan for Puel about how you transition him out of the team. But for me, you have a great option in Dragovic this year, who's on loan. And actually if we showed him a little bit of love and got him into the team and showed him that he's got a future at Leicester, if we've got first option to buy him and we think he's good, and he is, he's very good. Um, you know, he's very mobile, which Wes isn't necessarily he's very calm with the ball at his feet, playing this kind of modern style of football, playing out from the back together with Harry Maguire, who's, you know, got that in his locker in spades. Um, they just seem to fit really well together. And it just seems like for the sake of a captain's armband, we're having an issue where we're playing off third best centre back when we could have mm. Decent centre back pairing for the long term because if you give those guys games between now and the end of the season, they you know they start to cement that relationship again as centre back pairing. You could potentially sign Dragovic if he wants to move permanently. I don't know if he does or not, uh, but at least you'd have that first option if you wanted to. And if he saw a long term future at the club, then he'd probably sign. Whereas if he's just been bench warming behind a player that he's clearly better than. Um, And he's got proven form as being better than as well. It's not just a subjective thing. Like, if you look at our defensive record during that period, he and Maguire were absolute rocks and it was brilliant. Um, And I just think it instills more confidence in the entire team if you know that your centre back pairings are solid because you build from the back. And if you've got the, you you know, you're not nervous about necessarily making mistakes because you believe that your defensive pairing are going to get you out of trouble a little bit and be able to calm the situation down. And I don't necessarily believe that's always the case with Wes anymore. Um, And again, it's that age old problem of how you transition players out of the team once they're no longer quite good enough to get there on merit and they're there on reputation more than anything. Um, I'm sure it happens. It does happen at every club. Um, But we've got to bite the bullet at some point. You know, the guy's not getting any younger and we need to we need to work out exactly how we do that, because otherwise it's going to be to the detriment of the results overall for the team.
1: Yeah, and Dan, is there somebody at Arsenal, uh, maybe that we've already mentioned, or maybe uh, a certain number ten that you think might be costing on reputation more than they're actually
4: providing to the side? Uh, I'm going to go with two somebodies, and one would be that certain number ten, Jack Wilshere. We'll the other would be Petr Cech. Um, he is not good. He may have finally, finally saved a penalty today. He did it? Suck on that, Troy, and your cojones. Um, but he's still not good. Um, he's yeah, he's been really disappointing. Um, and at, at one point in the season, I was like, "He's not that good. We can probably get away with him for like another season." And then the with goalkeeper in two summers. I'm not sure if that's okay. Now he's been really bad. He's um, been really bad. But yeah, so he's one. Um, Jack is the other. He's not good. I don't. And uh, check I think more, more people have realized that he's not good. Wilshire, I. I mean, half a fan base There's still people together. saying half he should go really to Russia. He doesn't have the... No. 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 <laughs> yeah, no, I see people say he's, like, the best you know, central midfielder when fit. It's like, this is not 2012. No, he was hurt then. 13 or whatever. Who cares? Um, it's not... This isn't the early beginning part of the, cent- of the decade. Like, come on. He's not good. He doesn't have legs. Like, against Milan, he was... One, he was playing well, he was playing the number 10, but whatever. That's not the point I'm making. Um, after I'm not even sure the second half, he barely touched the ball because he just couldn't run. But like, he just I don't know why I didn't take him off, which is a whole other thing, but he just literally could not run after like 45 minutes. And this isn't a one off, this has happened a bunch of times where like 50, 60 minutes through a game, he's like, he can't move. He, he can't do anything and even when he can run he doesn't bring enough to the team where it's like okay this is worth a guy who's we can't play more than 60 minutes with any reasonable of him doing things and he gets to take up a spot in minutes he's just, he's bad he shouldn't be playing he's sh- i hope he leaves on a free um i mean ideally i don't know something someone's stupid and somehow gives us money for him that's not how anything works so leave on a free
1: yeah, with reports that Juventus are interested, would be very surprised. Although they do have the Wojciech uh connection, yes. which is interesting because too. we were going to touch on in house replacements. It seems like you had one, and then.
4: Oh, we totally had a check replacement, then we sold them, and it's bad.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I assume you do think you're going to address the situation in the summer?
4: I really hope so, but <laughs> I have no trust in anything. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been about know.
1: 15 years since you've had a decent defensive midfielder, so yeah. maybe yeah. don't get the hopes up.
4: At least We tried there. You but, did, yeah. you sure did. <laughs> we did try.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. All right, uh, now we're going to head into uh, match previews. We're going to quickly preview our upcoming matches makes sense uh you can understand how i came up with the name um we'll lead it with you dan it's the reverse leg of that uh milan match obviously you have a two nil lead um and those are uh ever precious away goals uh, what do you think we'll see in this one
4: um i think we'll advance um Milan Milan really not good um i don't watch syria because i don't have b in sport and even if i did they're really spotty with what matches they show but um I, I don't watch them. If this is what they normally are, I don't understand the hype. They were not good at all. Like, at all. They were really disappointing. I was expecting things from them. and um, But yeah, if they play anything like that, we should be able to sweep them aside relatively easily. Um, even if they don't, us having or having a 2-0 lead going in helps. Um, we're better at home. We're much, 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 much better at home than away. Um, that was our first away win in... Can't remember exactly how many games. It's been a while, and we've averaged, like, in the league, I think it's a point a game away from home for, like, us 30 away games. We're really bad away from home. So if we could do that in the San Siro, we should be able to sweep them away relatively easily. Um, we have Mesut Ozil and Henrik and those are the best two players on the pitch. Um, and that should be enough, really.
1: Yeah, do you think uh, it'll continue to be well back up front since Lacazette's hurt and Aubameyang can't play Lacka- there?
4: Lacazette's hurt, hurt still, which under... To my knowledge, he is. Yep, and well back. Which is a thing. He's not good. But hey, whatever. It's either Hammer and Kedia, so There you go. And Kettia is about twelve.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's accurate, yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh then we'll come to you now, Jim. Uh Lester versus Chelsea. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's the FA Cup match. Uh with you safe, I assume we'll pretty much see a full strength eleven here.
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, like I say, I think now is the time. Now we've hit the magical forty-point mark more than any um, to sacrifice potential league matches. Obviously, this comes just for the international break, um, so that's not so much of an issue. But there's no real reason to kind of try and rest players unless they are really hurt. Um, so yeah, it's you know, it's it's just a, a, a one-match shootout. And I think with with Chelsea, they are obviously going along okay. Um, they've had their kind of moments in of crisis um but i think there's a very real chance that at home uh we could beat them you know it's it's not it's not unforeseeable that we could get through because a they have got that midweek game against barcelona which you know you know barcelona are going to have 75 80% of the possession anyway let alone at home um in a, in a game where they've already got a, an advantage through an, away go, uh, through an away goal. So, you know, they're going to spend a lot of that match chasing Lionel Messi and co. Um, around the new Camp, which is fine by me uh, when they play us on Sunday afternoon. So yeah, I think we'll we'll be geared up for it. And we've saved a, a, a lot of our better performances um, for the Cup games this year. So hopefully that kind of motivates, if ever it were needed, the chance to kind of get to a semi-final at Wembley. Um, and I think that'll just kind of become the main aim so yeah there's no reason not to kind of play the full strength 11 uh, particularly because we've got you know they've got a couple of weeks to potentially recover with uh, with internationals and stuff uh, which are friendlies rather than qualifiers so everyone will be kind of taking it a little bit easy for those uh, those 10 days anyway
1: all right uh, next up we have Liverpool versus Watford Uh, obviously not many Premier League matches on offer Liverpool is one of them so fantasy people be sure to Get all those Liverpool players in. Um, what do you think we'll see out of this one? Obviously, Watford's suffering a heavy defeat to Arsenal today. Are you more worried about a bounce back or are you more optimistic considering uh, seeing a, a kind of struggling Arsenal team was so thoroughly capable of just destroying them on the day?
2: Um to be honest, I think I'm more excited about the potential for our, our bounce back, to be honest. We've we've kind of, we've reacted quite well to um defeats this season. We've not had too many. Uh, we had, we have said the FA Cup game. We've had the three in the league now, but usually we've bounced back pretty well from setbacks, especially even draws that were disappointing. So the 1-1 draw with Everton and the nilner with West Brom, which were actually consecutive games. After that, we embarked on quite a decent run. Um, so I'm actually more excited, especially with it being a home game. But, you know, the crowd's been pretty pretty decent of late. Um, everyone seems to sort of like fall in love with, with Liverpool again, uh, with the football being played, the manager, some of the players that are signing, the new players that are coming in are, are doing quite well, which is always a boost. So I'm actually kind of excited to see the reaction from Anfield, to be honest. Um, I think I think as a team, we're well capable of beating, beating Watford, and I think there's going to be a few angry players on the pitch, because although earlier on I did mention that Lovren was the fall guy for the game, um, it was definitely... A case of the whole team underperforming, uh, underperforming, underperforming. Sorry, and um, yeah, there was a number of uh, subpar performances. So I'm, I'm hoping to see like an angry team going into the Watford game, and that's something that Klopp himself emphasises. Um, he wants the team to stay angry. at Everyone else, even though they're doing well, and everyone's like dead pally in the squad, he wants them to stay angry in these in these kind of uh, scenarios. So. I'm looking at players like Salah, who was like marked out of the game by Ashley Young, uh, Mane, who had a really poor first half. Um, yeah, Trent Alexander Arnold, hopefully learning from his mistakes. Um, but obviously he's young and, and we have sort of let it go. Um so hopefully, yeah, t- hope to see him bounce back. So yeah, just excited about the game, to be honest. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone's fit. Um Wan Alden was ill last week, which I think is why he didn't start the game over Milner. Um other than that, Klein's working his way back to fitness. Um, I don't think anyone is injured. I think yeah, I think everyone's fit. So, yeah, get those Liverpool players in. Just just get the front three <laughs> in. <laughs> for sure. Hopefully, it'll be a five All <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, and that will do it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. If you have any projects you're working on, or want to tell people where they can reach you, now would be a good time.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, Kev. Um, pleasure as always. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Forster underscore, uh, mentioned before. Uh, yeah, if you want to hit me up on there, give me a follow and I'll follow you back. Cheers.
3: Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I've been Jim. I'm on Twitter at Knight uh, 88 You can find a lot of my writing uh, and stuff at goal.com from a betting perspective, soccerway.com as well. Um but yeah, if 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 betting on on football and stats and that kind of stuff is your thing, then uh head over there and, and see what we're all about.
4: Uh thanks for having me on. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits for anything I say, and when Arsenal concede goals, dogs. So that's nice.
1: <laughs> the dog gifts and, and pictures are, are always nice. Uh I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroth. Find my writings over at uh goal.com. I'm also doing some live text commentaries these days. Uh, I can tweet those out. Uh, When those are happening, I think the next one uh, is going to be the reverse leg of uh, Marseille and uh, Athletic Bilbao. So uh, if you're interested in that, be sure to go check that out. Um, Otherwise, keep listening to the fantasy show and the championship shows that go out on this very channel. I hope you enjoy those. Thanks to you guys so much for joining us. It was a pleasure as always. We hope you keep listening.